First, I want to start out with just a phrase, a phrase you might be aware of. Have you ever heard of, um, speak now or forever hold your peace? You have? Okay, so where do we hear that phrase usually? Weddings. Now, do you know why that phrase is said? So, go ahead. Because of that scripture, that is, that, that's one, one potential reason for sure. Um, so the priest or, or the pastor, the officiant says, can anyone show just cause, a just cause, why this couple cannot be lawfully joined together in matrimony? Let them speak now or forever hold their peace. This is something we, you know, certainly comes from the Catholic tradition, the, the, the church uh, for, you know, 2,000 years. And you, you get this uh, priest asking, is there a reason to legally condemn this marriage? right? To legally condemn it. Is there a reason we shouldn't have it? And I don't mean like some romantic comedy where, you know, the guy gets there just in time, right? He's in the traffic and he runs to the wedding and, you know, the woman's about to get married to the guy she shouldn't be getting married to. We all know that. And he runs and he goes, Bernadette, don't do it. I love you, right? It's, it's not that, right? That's fun to talk about. That's not it at all. There were real reasons that the priest would need to know before joining these two people in a covenant relationship. There were reasons that he would need to know that he might not be aware of, such as, in case you didn't know these, from the canon law of the Catholic Church, let's say the bride or groom were already married to somebody else, right? So, does anybody have reason? Yeah, I got a reason. That's my wife, right? (laughs) Um, Or if they've had a, if if either one of the parties have made a, a vow of celibacy, if you don't know what that word is, somebody around will explain it to you. You can't get married, right? You can't, someone can go, hey, that's a nun. You go, oh, you can't do that. <laughs> if you were underage and your parents had not consented. So speak now or forever hold your peace. And the dad goes, uh-uh, she's 14. I said no, right? You can't do that. There's a few more. Uh, if you've been kidnapped. So if you're up there and you're, you're being kidnapped, that's, that's a reason to let people know. If you haven't been baptized. In the Catholic Church, you could, not get, you could not be married if both parties had not been baptized. So someone could go, never saw them dunked. And then the last one, uh, which may be kind of intuitive, but if you had killed that person's spouse, you can't get married to that person, right? Like if you had him murdered and the priest says, does anybody see any reason why? Yeah, that dude killed the other guy. This is not cool. So anyway, that's the, and you know, in that moment in a wedding, it's almost kind of awkward, right? There's an awkward silence of, does anyone see a reason, a legal reason to condemn this marriage? And you kind of wait for a minute, pregnant pause. (sighs) Okay, we can keep going, right? And that's a very similar situation, what we see today in in John chapter 8, both from the question uh, that's posed to Jesus, what do you say, Jesus, about this law? And also what Jesus then questions the lady at the very end of the passage when he says, who has condemned you? Pregnant pause, right? So let's just kind of talk about it for a minute and unpack some of this because I think it would really help all of us to understand sometimes we're a Pharisee, sometimes we're the woman condemned. And I think as we go through it today, you'll find yourself in one of those two camps, either today or definitely in the past. So let's just look at what the scripture says, starting at verse 2, and it'll be on the screen if you haven't, uh, if you don't have your Bibles with you. So at dawn, uh, he appeared again in the temple courts, and that's Jesus, and the temple courts are, you know, the temple is the big, giant, beautiful facility where the sacrifices once took place, and 
Um, that's where the Jews would come and f- for their worship time. But the temple courts would be a really huge area, uh, that a wall. They would wall off these courts, and these courts would be made of you know, marble or stone or brick or something like that. And so Jesus doesn't go into the temple per se. He goes into the temple area, into this big, large area, and he goes, and he, he, he goes to begin to teach. And so uh, a rabbi in those days would sit down to teach. They wouldn't come up here and turn the lights on and give you a microphone. They would, he would sit down, and the people would gather around him, either standing or sitting wherever they could get comfortable around him. So the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. And the teachers of the law, uh, your, your version may say the scribes, you've heard of them maybe, the experts, so the experts in the law, and the Pharisees, and the Pharisees are like the rich, religious, powerful group at the time. These guys, they bring in, they brought in a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. How humiliating, right? Not only to be caught, which sounds like that's kind of hard to do, right, to catch somebody like that. So there's probably some scheming going on. There's probably a lot more to this story than we're really getting uh, in this bit of Scripture, but we get plenty. And so this woman's caught, and she's brought, and, and here's Jesus sitting down, you know, on this kind of brick or marble floor, and these people all around, let's just say 50 or 100 folks are, are, are standing and sitting. And Jesus is teaching them, and here are, these, here are like the religious leaders, the professional, you know, uh, Jewish people, and they come and they bring this woman who's got to be a mess, right? Like just broken, and, and here she is, just the shame she must feel standing in front of everybody. And it says they made her stand before the group, and they said to, to Jesus, teacher, rabbi, this woman was caught in the act of adultery, and she hangs her head. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. And that, you know, not like, let's go get high. Like it was, that's like capital punishment. And they're going to kill this woman. That's what the law, they said, if Moses said that he commanded to stone such a woman. Now, what do you say, Jesus? And they're using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So we get a lot of information there from this little bit of passage. And, And let's talk about two things real quick. First, what does the law really say? Did the law really say that? And then maybe what is this trap they're trying to set? So first, the law, and if we go back to the Old Testament, the, the first five books of the Bible, Genesis, Exodus, oh, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, I got it. Uh, that's, the, that's the Torah or the law in, in the Jewish scripture. So they, they saw those five books as the most beautiful, holy of everything. It's the best stuff. It's the law. And in Leviticus, one of the laws It says, if a man commits adultery with another man's wife, with the wife of his neighbor, both the adulterer and the adulteress must be put to death. Leviticus 20.10. You can check me on that. That's actually from from the law of Moses. Then again in Deuteronomy 22.22, it says, if a man is found sleeping with another man's wife, both the man who slept with her and the woman must die. You must purge the evil from Israel. So, the law does say that, right? It's pretty harsh. Um, Pretty clear, if X, then Y. If adultery, then capital punishment. Um, I don't have a lot of time today to go into all the Old Testament laws and why they are there. 
But let's just say this was what God intended. And in that moment, this is what was going on. And so this woman was indeed, uh, had been caught. She was under the law. And the, the, the punishment would be death. But, and this is, I mean, to the women in the room, you already are going, there's a problem here. The guys of you, I'm going to catch you up. Who's missing? The man. It takes two to tango, Terry. Right? Like, but they only bring the woman. Now, we could go into a, a, with the patriarchal system and all that stuff, but I just want to just give you this, just with no chauvinism or anything. Let's just say these guys had an unpure motive for bringing this woman. You agree? I think it's pretty clear in Scripture. The motive of these guys is what's, at, at, what's the problem here. Yes, the woman was caught. She's wrong. We all know it. So is the man who's not present very wrong. Where is the man? Where is the man? Where is this man who also deserves punishment? Where is he? Where is the man? So what we see is the Jewish leaders, the professionals, the scribes, the, the, the ones who knew the law so well, were content with ne- neglecting part of the law to enforce what they wanted to do. They're trying to make a point. They don't care about that woman. They're trying to make a point. They're trying to get Jesus. If you just keep half the law, you're breaking a lot of it. That may be a word for us today. If you're keeping half of the law, but leaving out a whole other part, and you know it, that's, that's breaking a lot of the law. Some illustrations, because it's going to get heavy a lot, and I'm going to try to bring it back up. It's going to get heavy again. I'm going to try to bring it back up. So, I mean, here's how, like, keeping half the law, it's kind of like this. You get pulled over by the police officer, and he comes to your window, and, you know, he goes, do you realize you, uh, Mr. Bailey, do you realize that you ran the, the stop sign? And I go, oh, yeah, of course I did. But I was going the speed limit. <laughs> like, I got half of it, Right. Or, or, or like, uh, you know, kids, if you're taking a test in school and the teacher goes, hey, I just caught you cheating. They go, yeah, of course I was cheating, but only half of it. The other half, I got it. I doubt it. It's fine. Um, gossiping, right? Like, oh, hey, I feel like you're gossiping. Oh, yeah, yeah, of course I'm gossiping, but it's all true. Hey, does that make it right? No, this person still doesn't want you talking about them, right? It's still gossip. Or, or maybe one that might really resonate with us is, man, we're so quick to condemn abortion, as we should. But the whole law says you take care of the orphans and the widows. You foster and you adopt and you, you contribute to these causes. If we just practice half the law, we're breaking a lot of it. And nearly every book of the Bible either has commandments or ethics that point us to taking care of the orphan, the widow, and the homeless, and those who are without so God is not honored when you deliberately do only part of what he says. Now, what we see in this, and you all see it, is just the blatant hypocrisy of the Pharisees and the scribes, right? So easy to see. So easy to see in somebody else, let's say. The hypocrisy. But if you just take a quick, um, a, a quick little 
word escaping me, but just a little snapshot of your life. Inventory. If you take a little inventory of your life right now, you'd probably go, ah, there are areas of my life where I maybe only do half of the law. And I know I do that. And that makes me a hypocrite. So don't do that. There you go, the end. Don't do that. Don't be a hypocrite. No, right, that's the easy part. I said, that did, did the law say it? Yes, the law said they should put her to death. Now, uh, what, is it, what about this trap? Let's talk about the trap. So, you see, in, in, in this period, first century uh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem is under Roman rule, right? Do you remember this? They're the ones who are going to eventually kill Jesus. All right, so if Jesus answers, uh, if he answers no, don't stone her, if he says don't do it, He's going against Moses. He's going against the law, right? Now, the trap is, if he says, yeah, yeah, go ahead and stone her. That's what the law says. The Romans would quickly execute him because the Jewish people were not allowed to enforce even their own laws in Jerusalem at that time. Only Romans could do public execution. The Jews were not allowed to do that. So that's kind of the trap. When we read this, maybe we not, might not know all that context, and so it might get a little sticky. But that's the deal. Jesus really is in a quandary here. If he says, no, don't do it, he's breaking the law. If he says, yes, go ahead and stone her, then he's going to get captured by the Romans just like that. You see the trap? It's a trap. Okay. <laughs> so what does Jesus do? He's brilliant. He's so much better than any John Grisham novel. Like... He gets them right. So here's what he does. He basically upholds the law, but with one stipulation. And that's verse 6. And this is the part we just love, don't we? Jesus bent down, and he started to write on the ground with his finger. Now, I'm going to stop there for a minute because I think that is hilarious, <laughs> first of all. So he's sitting on this stone area, whatever, and he's sitting down, and there's some dirt on the ground. And he's like doodling. Is he doodling when they're... This serious situation comes up, and he's like, Jesus was here. <laughs> or he's like, you know, spring break, 33 AD, you know. <laughs> is, he, is he drawing plays, like football play? Like, uh, Peter, you go flank left, John, go long, <laughs> like that. I don't know. And, and, and let me give you maybe a, a, what some commentators say. Do you remember Old Testament history? Do you remember... When Moses was given the law, this law we're talking about, the Ten Commandments and all the laws, do you remember they were given on what? Stone tablets. Do you remember who bent down and etched those with his finger? Yes. Maybe, maybe Jesus, and this would be so like John to put this, if you know the John and his character in the book of John, it would be so like John to go, eh, let's just have Jesus portraying himself as God right now and etching into this stone the law because he knows it. He, he knows the law. So it's really not what Jesus writes that it's, that's important. It's what Jesus says. So let's look at verse 7. And when they kept on questioning him, these Pharisees and Scribes, he straightened up and he said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. Man, that's brilliant. 
I mean, it's good news for us, but it's brilliant. And then what's it say, the, the rest of that verse? Again, he stooped down and wrote on the ground. This time he wrote, gotcha. <laughs> you know, like, how do you, how do you argue with that? That is the brilliance. It's the brilliance of Jesus, not just brilliance mentally, but what he does in that moment is life-changing. It's life-giving. What he says, basically, is anyone without sin is free to condemn. If you're perfect, guys, if you're the one, if you've shown up and there's nothing wrong with you, your motives are pure in this thing, which I question because I don't see the man. Where's the man? Where's the man? If you're perfect in this whole deal, yeah, go ahead. And in the Old Testament, the way it's written in the law is the witnesses have to be the first ones. So it's the witnesses and then the other people, they're the ones who stone. So if whoever caught her and him in the act, they have to be the first to throw the stone. Who would dare? Who wants to do that? Particularly after Jesus' words then of, if you are without sin, go ahead, cast the first stone. And it would be different. It would be different if this one woman was the only sinner in that group. But there's a hundred people. It's not one sinner. If it was one sinner, yeah, let's get rid of the evil one. And now we're all holy and perfect. Yay. No, it's a hundred sinners. To condemn one would be to condemn them all. And that doesn't fix anything. Now they're all just stoned. Wait a minute. That's weird. They're just dead. They're all dead. And really, who's last? Like, who's the last one? Who's the last one with the stone? Like, oh, I win, really. You know, I don't know how it works. That's not in the Old Testament. Uh-oh. So condemning one really condemns them all. It doesn't fix anything. And I want to I go to one of my favorite dudes from the 1200s. I know you guys have a favorite dude from the 1200s. Thomas Aquinas. And Thomas Aquinas says it like this. Let the sinner be punished, but not by sinners. Let the law be accomplished, but not by those who break it. When you judge another, you condemn yourselves, Romans 2.1. Therefore, either let this woman go or suffer the penalty of the law with her. Suffer it with her because condemning one condemns all sinners. Jesus upheld the law. He essentially told them to stone her. But who throws first? The one who would be without sin. And look what Scripture says in verse 9. It says, At this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. With maturity comes memories of our mistakes. It's probably why the elder ones, the older ones, walked away first. Because look, when, when you're in your teens and you do some boneheaded stuff, you're like, hey, that was fun, right? Like you're looking for boneheaded things to do. But when we get older, we're able to look back and go, whew, I was a bonehead. I made some big mistakes. I didn't realize it even at the time. Or maybe I did. I didn't care. But with maturity comes the memories 
of our mistakes. I, I like to think that this is the way God uses our, our past's hurt to help someone else. You know, like, I, I know me. I, I know how arrogant I was and prideful and, oh, how at times so self-righteous. I mean, I was a, a young guy reading the Bible thinking I had it figured out, all of it. All of it was figured I had all of it figured out. And now to look back and go, I didn't know anything. And so now it gives me empathy, compassion for those I see who may be arrogant or prideful or, or judgmental. I go, oh, guys, like, I want to hit you with a stone, but that was me. And I, and I have compassion now. I understand where you are and what you've come from. And maybe you're like that too. I often tell people, new believers, they come and they go, man, I don't know what my, my ministry is. I don't know what my mission is. I don't know who I'm supposed to go share the gospel with, which the answer is everybody and anybody. But I say, what was your past? Where did you come from? And I had a good friend of mine. Um, we're in this kind of the discipleship relationship together. And he, he's, he's um, been incarcerated Hard time, prison, dr drugs, and the whole nine yards, right? And I go, what's your life been like? And he'll go, oh, man, I was, in the, you know, I was in the slammer and da-da-da. And I was like, you have street cred. You go to the prisoner and tell them how Christ has set you free? And that is, that's beautiful. You have a story to tell. Go to those kind of places. I, not where it will bring you into uh, to temptation that you can't, uh, you know, withhold. But I'm just saying, there's, if there's a past, there's a reason you have memory of that past so that, A, keep you from going back there, but also so you will be able to share the gospel with those who have been in those situations like you. And I would like to think that when the, the, the woman here who's caught in adultery, when she walks away, I think she has an amazing testimony to tell to people just like her in her similar situation who are going through the same consequences she is. And she's like, let me tell you about this guy who does not condemn but comes to save. You have that story too, whatever it looks like. There's a reason you remember these pasts. It's, it's, wisdom comes from experience, does it not? Being older just helps us remember and see how we were so boneheaded at one time. But here's what happened in this story, and I think it happens to us too. When the Pharisees stopped looking outward at someone else's sin and started to look inward, they knew they could not cast that stone. And they knew they had to walk away one at a time. So who's left? It's now Jesus and this woman. Maybe there's a few people still sitting around, like watching. <laughs> you would be sitting there. I'd be sitting there going... What's about to happen? But the accusers are gone. The false witnesses have left. The people with impure motives have gone away. So what does Jesus say to her? Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? Pause. Has no one condemned you? And as she waits, like the bride and groom kind of wait to go, is there anybody else? Is there someone who's going to raise their hand and go, yeah, I object. So she waits, and then she answers the question. No, sir, not one. There's no false witnesses left. 
what does the law say now, Jesus? What do I do? There's nobody here who are witnesses. They can't, they, they can't par- pers- prosecute me. They, they can't stone me. What, what happens now? And Jesus' response is, if they don't condemn you, then neither do I condemn you. And he ends by saying, now go and leave your life of sin. And we'll talk about that in just a second. But the only one who is worthy, the only one righteous enough to condemn everybody there, but particularly this woman, the only one who could have done that was Jesus. And he chose not to. Jesus could have thrown the first stone. But that's not what Jesus came to do. The prophet Ezekiel in in chapter 18 says, uh, the prophet is speaking for the Lord. He says, do you think that I like to see the wicked people die, says the sovereign Lord? Of course not. I want them to turn from their wicked ways and live. I don't want you to die, says the sovereign Lord. Turn back and live. Paul tells us in Romans 8, therefore there is now no condemnation. That's our word today, condemnation. There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. When you put your faith and your trust in Christ Jesus, how much condemnation is there? None. Zero. And if we just look back just a few chapters before in John, John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave us only There's one and only Son that whoever believes in Him shall not perish but have eternal life. Verse 17, for God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through Christ. So whoever whoever believes in Him is not condemned. Whoever believes in Him is not condemned. If you believe in Jesus, if you put your faith in him, there is therefore now no condemnation because you are in Christ Jesus. Some of you need to be reminded of that today because you're feeling condemned. You feel like, no, there's a guilty charge against me. I know it. Maybe not caught in the act but you have been in the act of something. And you feel the weight of condemnation. And Jesus says, there's none. He declared that she was acquitted. So Jesus was not sent to condemn, but to acquit. And today when we hear acquit, we kind of hear not guilty. That would be innocent. You'd be declared innocent if you were not guilty. But to acquit means you are now removed from the consequences that were due to you. We've all broken the law and the consequences for all of us, according to the Old Testament scripture, not just this one passage, but it's death. Because of our sin, and all of us have it, and all of us have done it, is we, what is due to us is death. That's the capital punishment due to all of us. But Jesus did not come to condemn, thank the Lord. He came to acquit. He came to say, no longer is that going to be on you. I know you're a bonehead. 
Trey. I know you are. But I have come not to give condemnation, but to give you life. And he came to give you life. I feel like we need to respond to that today. So I'm going to ask the band to come out and just start getting our minds right and getting our hearts right. I mean, the, the scripture has been laid out for you. And I know there are times where you feel like a Pharisee, you feel like a hypocrite, you're half the law. There's repentance and reconciliation for that. Just come to the cross. And I know there's some of you who are like, yeah, I'm caught, man. I'm caught. And maybe no one caught me, but I'm caught. I know I'm caught. And you need to come to, come to the foot of the cross and receive that, that if you repent and put your faith in him, receive those words that say, I don't condemn you either. I know you messed up, but I'm taking your punishment for you. So there was this man. A man who was due punishment. And where is he? Where's that guy? Where is the man? Later in John, when we get to the story of Christ's crucifixion, the Roman governor Pilate, the guy who's in charge, the guy who says, no, you can't put someone to death, but I can And the scribes and the Pharisees, they finally get it. They finally set the trap. They finally got Jesus. And they brought him before Pilate because the Jews can't kill him. So they bring him to the Roman governor. And if we've been looking for that man, Pilate announces it in John 19. And he goes, here is the man. And he says, I find no fault in him. The Roman governor goes, I don't know what trick you guys are playing, but this guy's fine. He's righteous. He's sinless. Here is the man. And what do we, and I say we, because if we'd have been there, what do we shout out when Pilate says, here is the man? You might not can make the words, not barely can, but we say, crucify him. Crucify him. Crucify him. Yet we are the ones who are guilty. And the one who willingly stretches out his arms becomes like sin and takes the punishment of that adulterous woman and that man who never showed up. And he takes the punishment for you And he takes the punishment for me. And he says, with arms stretched out, where are they? Where are your accusers? Speak now or forever hold your peace. Where are they? Who condemns you? And as we look up at him on the cross, We say, I don't know. I don't know where they've gone. It's just me and you, Jesus. And he says, then I don't condemn you. Now go 
and sin no more. That is the message today. What's happening in your heart right now? Have you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? A firm foundation, someone who will never let you down? Do you believe that? Have you been maybe like a Pharisee? And you're like trying to justify how good you are while you're like going, yeah, I'm better than that guy, I'm better than that guy. We all need to be at the foot of the cross today. And I'm going to invite you. I'm going to invite you. There's rugs down here if you want to come and kneel and pray and just say, God, forgive me. God, draw me back to you. I've been a hypocrite. Or, or Lord, draw me back to you so that I can hear the words today. There's no condemnation. You're my child. I love you. I've taken the punishment for you. And if you're uncomfortable coming down here, just where you sit, if you want to kneel where you sit and just be humbled before the Lord, then do that. Sometimes posture can have a way of changing our mind. So maybe you kneel. But for all of us, I just ask you now, just close your eyes, bow your heads, move wherever you need to be, stand if you need to. But what I am asking you and pleading with you today is to respond to this good news that there is there for now no condemnation. For the Pharisee, no condemnation. For those who have been caught in their sin, there's no condemnation. For all of us, Lord, as we put our faith in you and we bow our hearts to you, Purge us of the evil, Lord. Cleanse us. And as we just make this place now your sanctuary, Father, put our faith and our trust in your Son, Jesus. And we trust that the greatest trade-off in all of history has happened. That a condemned world saved by a man who was condemned. Let's just enter this time of prayer together. We'll follow by singing a song together. So put yourself in that scene. You're the woman and you're there and you're filled with shame and you're filled with guilt and all these people are telling you you're messed up. And Jesus says, I won't fail you. Yeah, the wind and the waves and the storm may be crashing on you right now. But you'll never feel more secure when you're with me. And I would love to think that he embraced her in that moment. As he said, maybe in her ear, now go and sin no more. Put all of your faith in me. And that means your actions too. And so follow me. Know me and follow me. And so today, church, whoever you are in the story today, at least hear this part at the end as we go out. Jesus whispering in your ear, now go and sin no more. Be in his word this week. Be on your knees in prayer this week. Get in a growth group. Come to Thursday nights. Whatever it takes, all of it, if you have to, to hear those words over and over, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more.
Thank you so much for being here today, church. Man, I love you guys. And uh, Kurt's out on his uh, birthday weekend, so that's where he's at. You guys can give him a little grief next week when you see him again. You guys have a great week. Next week, we do another question. Lord, Lord, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? That's a good one. All right, you guys have a good week.